Hi, and welcome to Top in Tech, a Global Council podcast. My name is Conan Darcy. I'm your regular host and Senior Practice Director at Global Council. Today, we're going to be talking about a report which Global Council published last month on the regulation of the metaverse. And I'm delighted to be joined by two colleagues who led much of that research over the last few months. First, I'd like to introduce Raf Malik. He is the Head of Research and Insight at Global Council and leads much of our qualitative and quantitative research with the public and with expert opinion formers. I'd also like to welcome a regular on the podcast, Megan Stagman, an Associate Director in the Tech, Media and Telecoms team. Megan led many of the interviews that form the basis for our research today. So Raf, if I could start with you, can you just describe for listeners the research that we have been doing and just talk us through why certain decisions were taken in the design choices around the research? Sure. Um, So we wanted to understand the likely direction of regulatory intervention in the metaverse uh, and to really test a hypothesis that uh, political and regulatory scrutiny would be uh, applied early on in its development rather than there being any sort of uh, regulatory honeymoon that there perhaps was in, in earlier developments uh, in, in digital technology, say in the early days of the internet or, or social media. Um, so to do that, we conducted research with um, two main audiences, the general public on the one hand and opinion formers uh, on the other. Opinion formers included both relevant policymakers, regulators, academics, journalists uh, and business leaders. And our research looked to understand the commonalities and differences uh, between these two audiences and and understand the dynamics and and tensions that would shape or will likely shape policymaking um, on on this issue. Um, We conducted in-depth interviews with over 20 opinion formers uh, across the EU, UK and US. Uh, We conducted a citizen's jury in London to, to provide depth of insight into public attitudes on the issue. And we also conducted three nationally representative surveys of the public in France, the UK uh, and the US. Um, We focus on those three jurisdictions uh, in particular because we thought they were interesting in different ways. Um, The US obviously is the world's largest economy and and home to much of the tech sector internationally. Uh, The EU as the leading uh, standard setter internationally for technology regulation and the UK because it's developing its its distinct regulatory frameworks in areas such as online safety. Thanks, Raf. Let's just move on from sort of the choices that we took to the responses that we got. So let's start with that question of, and it's the most obvious one, I think, of familiarity, i.e. what did people know about the metaverse, if anything? Was it a case that people knew much more than we expected? Or was it as you would have probably predicted that public levels of knowledge are are quite low? So it's a bit of a a complicated picture, really. Um, We found that uh, actually most people have heard of the metaverse, or at least claim to have heard of the metaverse. But the proportion that claim to know something about the metaverse is, is much smaller. So around 7 in 10 in the UK claim to have heard of the metaverse, but only around four in 10 in the UK claim to know anything about it beyond the name. Uh, What people do know about the metaverse is still um, quite limited. Uh, It's usually assumed to be some sort of 
virtual entertainment space, uh, something that's very much focused on either socializing or, or gaming. And there's very little awareness of, of wider use cases or, or possible applications beyond that. And there's very little awareness of um, the use of AR or potential use of AR in the metaverse. Uh, it's also clear that there's a very, very strong association in the public mind between the metaverse and Meta or Facebook, the company. Um, we asked members of the public to name the three words that came into their heads when they thought about the metaverse. Uh, and by far the most dominant word, the most commonly selected um, was Facebook. Um, so that link there bet between the metaverse and meta um, is very strong. And that obviously has, has implications both for uh, meta, but also for other uh, technology companies in the space. The final point I'll make on, on familiarity is that um, there were some differences as you might expect um, between different demographics. Um, so younger adults, um, men and urban residents tended to be those who were most familiar with the metaverse. Uh, and there are also some differences between the different markets that we included in our survey. In particular, we found that uh, uh, citizens in the US tended to be much more familiar with the metaverse than those in the UK and France. So it's interesting sitting in on the citizens jury, the, the sort of extended educational focus group, and it, it was consistent with the picture that you've just described in the in the public polling, where there was that association between Facebook, which is now Meta, and the Metaverse. Um, about sort of a third to a halfway through, members of the public suddenly started talking about Mark Zuckerberg and an avatar and the something they saw about a year ago. And it was quite clear, although that necessarily wasn't front of mind necessarily for all people when they were thinking about some of the digital regulatory issues that we were exploring with them, it was certainly there and had some impact. And as the conversation wore on, it came out more and more in their impressions on the topic. And clearly that creates a very interesting dynamic for regulation as we know, Facebook, now Meta, has been at the center of the global political debates, the global tech lash. And that question will now presumably follow Meta into the metaverse. So that where we started, will there be more scrutiny? You would expect with that clear association, both in the public mind and those of expert opinion formers with Meta, that the metaverse will, as a result of that, see more scrutiny than perhaps it might have done otherwise, which presents interesting challenges for other companies and innovators in, in that space. So let's move on to Megan. You did a lot of the expert opinion former uh, interviews, um, and Raf mentioned those earlier. And I think what's striking from the report was, although they obviously knew a lot more than the public, they are, of course, people who are either looking to understand, regulate, or even innovate in this space. It was clear that there was no consensus, so uh, no one could quite agree whether the metaverse will become the next big thing or not. Um, there was no consensus of whether actually it even exists already, whether it is linked to, say, a particular technology like virtual reality or augmented reality, VR or AR. Um, I mean, the, the, this didn't seem particularly helpful when trying to develop a... a uh, a regulatory strategy towards this nascent sector. So what, what do we what do we take from this? Is the use of the term metaverse 
helpful or unhelpful? Well, I think you have to call the metaverse phenomenon something. So why not the metaverse? But I do agree with you that there was a huge amount of variation in terms of what people actually meant by that term. So, for example, we had a few people, including UK policymakers, who said that they weren't sure if the metaverse would really happen as it was uh, currently being described, but that there might be some kind of series of virtual worlds. Um, similarly, as we've already alluded to, in terms of meta sort of dominating the discourse, um, especially in the last year or so, other companies beyond meta seem to mean slightly different things by the metaverse. And they were almost a bit upset that meta had kind of dominated now um, and overpowered their own kind of longer standing visions for what that might be. And I think there's a particular question around kind of the technology that is associated with the metaverse that seemed to come out uh, through our research as well. So while Meta seems quite focused on VR, for example, um, other companies seem much more focused on augmented reality. Um, and there seemed to be a consensus that augmented reality would probably take off sooner than virtual reality. But the public didn't really associate augmented reality with the metaverse. And we had a few people in our citizens' jury um, express some level of surprise that it wasn't just virtual reality. So all a long way of saying, agree with you that I think it's quite confused. Um, policymakers, industry, the public all seem to have slightly different uh, understandings of what the metaverse is now and what it will be. Um, and I think to come back to your final point about kind of like, is it already here? Um, when will it come about? There was a lack of consensus on that too. So a few people pointed to for example, recent stories in the news around Decentraland, which is obviously one of the most famous current ecosystems, potentially only having 38 active users per day um, and therefore not really being quite up to the hype. Um, other people said that actually give it another five years or so and this could be quite a big thing or the next internet, as you said. So I think a real mix, but it'll probably take five or 10 years for us to really see its full potential. And I think that's linked to the discussion we had before where we have this term which is clearly linked with a specific company and then we have confusion over what else that means beyond that association with a particular company. So if you, again, if you are another company operating this space and thinking through how governments and regulators are going to respond to it, there's quite a lot of political comms issues here in how you communicate your own product your own services i there is potentially a temptation to be positioned as a virtual reality company rather than a metaverse company augmented reality company or even a virtual worlds company rather than a metaverse company but it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out and i think a lot will depend on whether other very large tech companies you know microsoft have done this um admittedly with less fanfare, but other big tech companies really enter this space uh, with a bang and in the way in which they do so. But Rafi, could we go back to the, 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 the public side? So we've done familiarity. We know what they know, which is sort of something, but not much. Um, but what about whether the public is favorable towards uh, the metaverse? Did you get a sense from our polling, a clear result of whether the British, French and American publics actually liked the idea of it? So I think it depends on, on, on who you ask and, and when you ask them. Um, as you might expect from the, from, the, from the finding that I mentioned earlier, that, that, that only a minority 
of the public in each of the three countries know anything about the metaverse. Um, when we asked people at the, the beginning of our research, um, most were yet to have an opinion um, about the metaverse and many were undecided. Of those who did know something about it, some tend to feel more positive, others tend to feel more, more skeptical. And there's, there's a really significant and striking uh, geographical trend here, where we found that the public in the US uh, tends to be um, quite significantly more favourably disposed to the metaverse than the public in the UK, with, with France somewhere in between. And again, we saw some interesting demographic differences within each country as well. Younger adults, men and urban residents, those who tended to be more familiar, also tended to be more favourable whereas older adults, women, and rural residents tended to be more sceptical. Uh, the final point I'd make is that we're, we're likely to see public opinion shift quite significantly on this issue as it becomes um, more high profile. Um, we didn't just ask people how they feel about the metaverse at the start of our research. We also asked them at the end of the citizens' jury and at the end of the surveys, once they'd spent a bit of time learning more about the metaverse, understanding potential use cases, and discussing potential benefits uh, and concerns. And we saw quite significant changes in how people felt towards it. Uh, in our surveys, for example, over half of respondents in each country changed their mind, became either more favorable or less favorable towards um, the metaverse over the course of only a 10 or 15 minute survey. Um, and and we, we saw those exact same shifts and fluctuations in opinion uh, happening in real time in the citizens jury, people becoming much more positive towards the metaverse as they learn more about potential use cases, but then others becoming more, more cynical, more skeptical as they discussed potential concerns that they hadn't considered initially. So there's an interesting sort of trend there that favorability is is sort of there for the taking in, in some sense that 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 no one is quite sure of what they necessarily think yet about the metaverse they have instinctive opinions but they are there to be shaped and determined by companies by uh, regulators by politicians and by civil society so it's there to be shaped and clearly it appears that meta is the primary uh, organization that is shaping the ideas of this uh, this term at the moment, though it's not to say that that will be the case indefinitely. I think there's also an interesting point you pulled out there, Raf, that the UK appears to be a little bit of an outlier here. Um, for in my own mind, when I saw the polling results, I was quite surprised to see the UK public significantly more sceptical than the French public around issues to do with technology, not just the metaverse, but all sorts of different types of technology and favorability ratings say for what you might do in the metaverse. It was striking throughout that the UK public was more cynical. And we've seen other polling recently, which seems to reinforce this trend that the UK is perhaps a little bit more tech skeptic or a little bit more big business skeptic um, than other countries. And it's something we're certainly going to look at exploring through our research and insights uh, through the course of 2023. But let's go on to. Um, what do people actually want to do in the metaverse? Raf, you, you you mentioned that this shaped how people thought about the metaverse. What, what you could do there just determined to some extent 
about whether you liked the concept or not and often changed attitudes. So can you just jump a little bit more into that? I mean, what do people want to do there and do we get a sense of that from the research? We found relatively widespread interest in experiencing the metaverse uh, in all three countries. Uh, as you might expect from what I mentioned earlier about um, the UK public being slightly more sceptical than the other countries, we did find there was slightly less enthusiasm in the UK than in the US and France towards trying out the, the metaverse. Um, but really, irrespective of, of how people felt about the metaverse overall, people could definitely see some benefits uh, and, and actually wanted to try out different experiences. The, the most popular experiences that most people said they'd want to try were uh, visiting real or imagined locations, shopping for goods uh, and products, and participating in, in education or, or training. And generally speaking, uh, it was practical, commercial, and professional use cases tended to be those that generated the most enthusiasm and interest uh, and also drove positivity towards the metaverse overall. Yeah, again, referencing the, the citizens' jury focus group that we did, there was, for some of the participants, a really noticeable shift in attitudes when it was explained to them that the metaverse, or probably more accurately in this uh, case, that virtual reality applications of the metaverse could be used for things like education and for the training of surgeons and doctors. And that really, at that point, you could see them making the the leap from, right, okay, this is, I thought this was all about kids sitting in their rooms on headsets and doing gaming and not talking to anyone or, you know, doing weird socializing stuff online. I'm not sure I like that. To, oh, wow, actually a doctor could train. So <laughs> if I have to get some surgery, then thank God they've tried on, on in a virtual setting before they, they try on me for the first time. Uh, so those sorts of things really sort of really did make a difference. It was very interesting to see. Um, and clearly going back again to that sort of almost that, that contest, that sort of contest for definition of the metaverse and how it is sold to political and regulatory audiences, that seems quite a key insight there and probably also a tension there about how do you how do you sell that message while at the same time it's probably going to be gaming and social types of applications that will be the first ones that take off or entertainment in the metaverse. So... Megan, we've sort of done the bit of the the good stuff, you know, what people like about it and what they might want to do. But let's go to the sort of concerns um, because it's not all positive. We heard a lot of that in across the conversations uh, that we had. Could you just start with what the, what is it the public are concerned about, and where, if if anywhere, did they want to see regulation? Largely, it aligns with the current concerns that you already see people having about. Web 2.0 and in particular social media. So uh, we've already seen a real kind of like public outcry for more regulation following online bullying or child safety online and things like that. And that really aligns with what people are most worried about with the metaverse as well. Um, we had a few people say that the kind of metaverse was just the internet on steroids. It was accentuating the problems that it already had. So through our polling, we found that the, the biggest concerns they had were fraud, for example, which again, we see a lot of on social media and search engines um, being a concern at the moment, online bullying, um, invasive collection of data as well. So all of these are kind of old problems, but brought to the fore um, anew. And then we had a separate question 
which was obviously related. But if those are your concerns, what are the things that you actually want more laws on or more rules around? Um, and top of the pile for all of the jurisdictions was protecting children um, and greater kind of child online safety, data protection um, and online safety for the public um, and the population as a whole. And as I say, I think it's quite interesting that despite differences um, in views on other topics, uh, this was pretty consistent across France, the UK and the US, even though there were differences in terms of which geographies were most pro-regulation or least. So the UK was typically more pro-regulation and the UA, US was uh, less so. And I think that kind of aligns with the the existing regulatory frameworks that you already see. There's obviously a reason why they exist the way they do. Yeah, and I think France had quite an interesting position in this polling in the sense that, as I said, I was a bit surprised about how favourable the French public were compared to the British uh, around the metaverse. But they were also quite pro-regulation as well. They were more in line with the Brits, as you would expect, uh, than than the Americans. So they're sort of, they want it to happen, but they want to make sure it's, it's, it's highly regulated, which I think is what, something along the lines of what you would expect in France. Um, but Megan, we we know that the public has these instincts and they are shaped by, as you said, what what we know today about the current internet and where our prejudices and concerns lie. You spoke to many of the foremost thought leaders and thinkers in this space um, and some of the people who are going to have to do the hands-on regulation and was the picture there the same? I mean, was that were regulators and think tanks and others primarily focused on data protection and online safety in the same way that the public are? A bit. So, I mean, they could also see why these would be greater risk um, in the metaverse than they were potentially in Web 2.0. But I think the crucial difference here was that expert opinion formers had a better idea of obviously what regulatory frameworks and tools already existed. So, for example, on the data front, We've already got GDPR um, in the UK and in Europe, um, and therefore it's more a question of kind of enforcing those rules that already exist rather than needing to come up with new ones. Um, and obviously the public have less of a kind of comprehensive understanding of what's already out there. Um, that said, uh, there does seem to be some interest um, with our opinion formers uh, in particular to one thing, which is interoperability, um, and that potentially new legislation might be needed to enforce that. So by interoperability, we obviously mean ensuring compatibility between different companies in the metaverse ecosystem. Um, the way we described it to our citizens' jury was that if you couldn't send emails from one server or one platform to another, for example. Um, and obviously this will have pretty crucial implications for digital competition in the metaverse and ensuring that it's not just one single walled garden um, that kind of dominates. So I think our policymakers that we spoke to were concerned about this. Um, and typically, it seems that the discussions that are already happening in adjacent tech ecosystems might bleed across into the metaverse conversations as well. So if you think, for example, in the UK, we've already got ongoing investigations into things like mobile ecosystems and app stores. A lot of those companies that kind of play in those spaces are the same ones that we're expecting to, to be big in the metaverse. So it's quite interesting to see how those things might uh, have tangential impact on the metaverse conversation. Um, at the moment, we're seeing 
quite a lot of those conversations around interoperability take place in standards making organizations um sort of leaving industry to it um in order to to work out how they can be compatible with one another there is a bit of a question uh amongst the people that we spoke to about whether this would really be sufficient so there are organizations that already exist no one's questioning that they're doing important work but if they don't have complete buy-in from the big players and that there are kind of major platforms that aren't included in those organizations and those discussions, how helpful really are they? Um, and so one of our opinion formers that we spoke to um, in the EU said that they thought the commission would probably have to step in at some point. Uh, whether we'll see that happen in other jurisdictions, I think is going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, it was, it was striking in the conversations that we had with the expert opinion formers just how seized they were of the need to tackle this issue of interoperability. And as you say, it, the prop, again, the interoperability is a slightly difficult issue to discuss, like the metaverse itself, because there are varying definitions. But it seemed that there were sort of some were very seized about the market power implications. They didn't want these, as you say, walled gardens. But other, there's sort of this other discussion around moving assets or characteristics between different worlds and it seemed that the, the two are a little bit confused and blurred at the moment um and certainly you would expect that were the commission or the cma or the ftc or other regulatory bodies to come in in the first instance it will probably be the former of those the the market power issues where they have the greatest scope to intervene the the broader interoperability debate seems uh, slightly further ahead and we'll have to see exactly how the metaverse develops, whether we'll see the metaverse or multiple metaverses. And I think that, that in and of itself and the technological and commercial development will shape where that longer term debate goes. So let's, I want to continue, Megan, that conversation about regulation. But just before we do, let's just bring Raf in. Um, we did a bit of testing around the trust scorings of uh, different institutions with regard to the metaverse. Can you just Talk us through what the public in different jurisdictions that we covered, what they felt about different actors who may or may not be responsible for the regulation or self-regulation in the metaverse. Sure. So, so yeah, as you mentioned, we asked um, members of the public um, to what extent they trusted a whole range of different actors uh, and institutions in relation to the metaverse, including charities, government independent regulators, other users, um, uh, and, and um, tech companies of various types. Um, and we found some very stark geographical differences here. So in the UK and France, it was regulators that were most trusted. Um, seven in 10 in the UK saying that they trust an independent regulator at least a little in relation to the metaverse. That figure in France was eight in 10. And by comparison, there was less trust in tech companies, especially in the UK. So um, just over half, 55% in the UK, saying they trust large technology companies, at least a little, which is quite a low bar in relation to the metaverse. Um, by contrast, in the US, tech companies were among the most trusted institutions in relation to the metaverse, whereas regulators and government were much less trusted by comparison. So that was a very notable finding. Um, one consistency um, between all three countries was that 
um, other users of the metaverse, uh, other members of the public, were the least trusted, um, which might help to explain some of the concerns that Megan outlined earlier uh, in, in terms of the risks posed by online abuse uh, and, and harassment by others. Yeah, there's a very distinct difference between Europe and, and the US there, wasn't there? You could you could see in the UK and France, as you said, that consistency about high levels of support for independent regulators. I think quite striking that the UK and France had differences around support for government interaction. France, you saw high levels of support in the UK, much lower actually around similar levels to, to America. But in America, there's clearly an association there between government and the regulators in a way in fact, that there isn't uh, in the UK where bodies like Ofcom, CMA and ICO are genuinely perceived to have a degree of independence from government, whereas their equivalents in the US, such as the FTC and FCC, aren't. And perhaps that's something to do with the fact how those appointments are made to those bodies, where they are quite clearly political appointments uh, in America, much less so uh, in the UK. Okay, but putting that to one side, Independent regulators get high trust figures in the UK and France. So, Megan, let's take the ICO and CINIL, the data protection authorities. They've got high trust figures, so a bit of a license to uh, to regulate here. Um, what is it that we see opinion formers worrying about in their areas of competence? So we talked a little bit about this before, but can we go into a bit more detail? So on privacy and data protection, what does the policy community worry about when it comes to the metaverse? Well, I think firstly, there's a bit of a question of what data exactly VR headsets are collecting. So we heard uh, come up time and again, this issue of eye tracking, for example, uh, with a lot of people worried about, firstly, would that mean that you can advertise to them more effectively and you can kind of read their appetite for different things and you're collecting all of this sort of extra slightly creepy data um, that the public are worried about? Um, or could it be even going even further and inferring information about you, which also was a concern. So for example, if you can track people's interest in things, does that also mean that you can track their sexual preference, for example? And then what's happening to that data if the companies are collecting it? If you live in a, a state uh, with homophobic laws, is there any risk that that um, data is going to go back to the government, for example, and that you could get in trouble for it? So there were some concerns about that. Um, There's also uh, a bit of a question around bystander privacy as well, which kind of comes into force slightly more around the augmented reality debate. Um, if you have AR always on cameras, um, are there other people who are going to be involved in that sort of always on recording? Um, and how do you get their consent for being involved in that? Um, the answer is that it's probably pretty difficult to. But all of that question around consent is, I think, a part of a bigger piece around do you need pop ups to get people's consent, for example? Is that then going to inhibit the, the overall smoothness of the product? Um, so I think there's quite a lot of questions around that. There's also some questions around geolocation data. And again, I think this is probably more with the AR piece, but um, ac across the board. And you may recall even a few years ago with Pokemon Go, for example, uh, there were a few issues with geolocation data being misused and people kind of tracking down users of Pokemon Go when they'd kind of gone into um, remote areas and then mugging them. So I think that sort of stuff is still a concern of policymakers. Um, what's happening to that geolocation data? Could it be used to, to hinder people's online safety? 
Um, to come back to your question of whether there should be more regulation on this, um, I think it kind of goes back to the the point I had earlier about expert opinion formers know what regulation already exists. And so there aren't quite such clamours for like new laws completely in the way that there are with the public. Um, quite a lot of the regulators that we spoke to, uh, for example, in the UK, I think policymakers felt that generally the age appropriate design code that's already there to protect uh, child online safety and child data would work quite well in the metaverse. Um, there were also questions about whether GDPR could potentially just be used a bit more creatively than it has been to date. So we heard from someone that maybe the idea of data portability, which is, of course, a key principle of GDPR, that might have a new importance when you have an avatar that needs to be kind of taken between different worlds. So how do we use the the data legislation that we've already got? And also, how do we enforce that data? Um, because I think that's kind of going to be a recurrent question. As a result, most of the, the policy community that we spoke to, at least in the UK, for example, thought that there probably wouldn't be any specific legislation uh, on data in the metaverse for at least five years or so uh, while the, the technology kind of came more to maturity. Other jurisdictions are a slightly different picture, as we've spoken about before. For example, in the US, opinion formers said that it would be good to have the American Data Privacy and Prote Protection Act as a baseline, but maybe that wouldn't really be a game changer. And obviously, there is a bit of a gap there in terms of data legislation um, in a way that the UK and Europe has already developed. Thanks, Megan. So lots there, but it was, as you say, the broad opinion of European stakeholders seemed to be that the law is more or less there. There's just going to be a lot of toing and froing about how the UK and the EU's GDPR applies. Obviously, the situation in the US is, uh, is, is very different in the absence of a federal, federal privacy law. So let's, let's just conclude then. Raf said at the start, Megan, that we were trying to test a thesis around whether the metaverse would face greater political and regulatory scrutiny than perhaps had been the case for companies that dominate the internet now, but which developed in the late 90s and throughout the 2000s and into the early 2010s. Could you just give your view about what we actually concluded? Is it, is it the case that the regulatory cycle has shortened and companies are going to be regulated more intrusively than their predecessors? Um, I think, as I said, in Europe, it's going to be more a question of enforcement of the existing laws. So we might see kind of regulators trying to get a few big company tech scalps in the next couple of years um, to prove that they are taking this seriously. But there is also a question of, as I said at the very beginning, if you don't actually have a lot of people in these metaverse worlds at what point do the regulators decide that it's a priority for them to be regulating there? So, yes, I think laws will be uh, enforced in the metaverse, but there is a question of when that will become a real priority for regulators, just in terms of volume. Um, in the US, I think it might take a slightly different form. So uh, potentially more media scrutiny rather than kind of political um calls for laws and I think also potentially more of playing these debates out through the courts rather than through hard legislation but it will be interesting to see where that geographic difference ends up. Indeed it was quite interesting on the US side 
where some people even flagged the idea that Section 230, the sort of cornerstone of US internet law, which allows limited liability exemptions for online services, that that may not even be applicable to the metaverse because Section 230 only addresses content rather than conduct. And that is one of those questions. It can be debated in different ways, I suspect. But it's one of those issues where you can imagine there being court cases testing that in the US, um, which will potentially be the driver for regulation and for law as it as it is applied to the metaverse, rather than new federal law in the next couple of years in Congress. So just to say thank you very much uh, to both of you. I hopefully uh, listeners enjoyed that discussion and hopefully you're wanting more and you want to understand even more detail than the snapshot we've given you today. And if you are, you can find our full report on the Global Council website. If you just go to the insights page uh, on the GC website, then you'll be able to find the report. And that website is www.global-council.com. So many thanks to to Raf and many thanks uh, to Megan. As ever, if you, your business or your investment are exposed to this trend or indeed other digital policy and regulatory issues, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Uh, you can find details for Raf and Megan uh, and our broader tech media and telecoms team on the GC website, which I just talked you through, or also via the link in the podcast notes. So thanks again uh, for joining me today. Uh, thanks for listening. Next time we have uh, Guy Parker, who is the CEO of the Advertising Standards Authority. And we're going to talk about the future of tech regulation as it applies to the advertising sector. Thank you very much. Thank you.